Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and, and sports. sports. Thank like, God we're already done with sports for the week. I was like, that's twice of this week you're like doing dramatic pauses for sports like dun dun dun, sports. It's the worst. Yeah. But the good news is this is a book episode. Yes. Yeah. There's not a ton of book news this week. This happens sometimes. There's just not a lot to talk about. I'm always impressed that you find so much of it because I struggle throughout the week to find anything. So that's what I'm here for. The first bit of news is coming out of the Vampire Academy adaptation camp this week. The series was picked up back in May with Julie Pleck, who is a garbage showrunner, and Marguerite (laughs) McIntyre serving as executive producers and showrunners. I would speak to the Julie Pleck thing because I don't know who she is. She was a showrunner on the adaptation of the Vampire Diaries and the spinoff, The Originals. And it's because of her that there are so many plot holes in the ending of both of these shows, as well as things veering off course from the canon. So she, I was going to say, she's not good at following canon. Yeah. So... Well, and she is the reason that, like, oh, we need to not make this couple canning because I don't like them, so we're going to change the plot of the show. So, yeah. Not loving her, but she's working on a different vampire thing. Rochelle Mead's best-selling series, The Vampire Academy, follows Rose Hathaway, who is a feisty and sexy half-human, half-vampire, who is sworn to protect her best friend, Vasilius Dragomir, who is a kind-hearted vampire with no taste for ruthless vampire politics. This week, Peacock announced some of the cast and crew for the first season of the show. Sissy Stringer will play Rose Hathaway. Danielle Neves. Nieves. Nieves, sure. Mm-hmm. Will be Vasilisa Dragomir. Kieran Moore will be Dmitry Belikov. Andre Day Kim will play Christian Ozera. At this point, there's no release date or anything like that, but they are getting the cast and crew together. I'm just kind of happy it's not being done by WB, so maybe it'll be actually good. The fact that the person who wrote the article made sure to emphasize the fact that the main character is a sexy half-human, half-vampire kind of makes me think they're going to lean more into the WB style of vampire shows, but... That'd be weird, though. NBC doesn't really have a track record of doing that, so, like, it's... Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Maybe it's the first time for them, you know, experience-wise. Sexy vampires sell better than non-sexy vampires. Well, there's no disagreement there. I feel like that is probably the way that everything works realistically. Like, why do you think you have topless models advertising, like, different colognes and perfumes? Like, it's just, that's the way it is. And that's what makes the asexual in me go, why? What is happening? Uh, I thought it was going to make you go, wah. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for that, and I was like, that's not what I expected. (laughs) That's not what happened. But anyway, we'll see how the show leans in the coming months, I'm sure. I would imagine as the show does release, we'll figure out how it's going to be. And then the second piece of news that I have for the week from the book community is something that I think you'll be interested in, but every time I say that, you're never interested. So we'll see if I'm correct this time. Based on looking at the beginning of it, I don't know that I am, but I haven't read the whole thing, so excitement. Well, a third grader named Jackson Stiles published a book recently as part of the Share Your Story program through the nonprofit organization Leap for Literacy. His book is called If I Could Meet My Favorite Football Player and is available on Amazon and was sponsored by Barnard Sims, 
and illustrated by Bailey Volk. Leap for Literacy's goal is to address the lack of access to printed materials in at-risk communities. Stiles said he is as big of a fan of reading as he is of football. He said, quote, I like to read books about things that I don't know a lot about. I want to know everything, so that is why I read a lot of books. Sounds like a little you. And like, kid, same. Except for the football thing. Yeah, not that. Replace it with hockey. Yeah. (laughs) All proceeds from the sale of each young author's book will fund scholarship accounts for the author's Outside of school and reading, Stiles said he enjoys playing with his brother, watching football with his dad, and making grocery lists for his mom. That last one's a little weird, but he's a kid, so we'll let it slide. Oreos, Oreos, Chips Ahoy, Oreos. Yeah. I imagine is what the list looks like. He says he wants to grow up to become a professional football player and a business owner and a police officer, so he's going to be busy. Quite a bit <laughs> at that point. He dedicated the book to the Atlanta Falcons and to his favorite football player, Julio Jones. Oof. The article goes on to say that he's still a Falcons fan despite him getting traded. I was going to say, I'm like, that's not a good year to have that book released. But he also talked a bunch of crap about Julio Jones. and The how, kid did? Yeah. That's fantastic. When he becomes a professional football player, they're going to race, and he's going to win the race and beat Julio Jones. Well, by the time he's old enough to race Julio (laughs) Jones, Julio Jones will be in his 60s, so... Maybe you will win. You probably will have a chance. But it's just a cute story, and like I like that these kids get to you know write a story and get it illustrated and published. That's all really cute. I just thought it was really funny about the football thing, and like how much crap he was talking about his favorite player. That's fair enough. Like, Julio Jones made it pretty clear that he didn't want to be in Atlanta anymore, so I could understand the the pain that a young child would have from his favorite player being like, I'm done with Atlanta. And he's like, but I live here. But what's funny is, like, he's like, I still root for Atlanta, even though my favorite player is gone. But when I first started watching hockey and my favorite player got traded, I'm like, bye, Dallas. New team. New team, who dis? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I, I get it. Like, Atlanta sports fans are pretty, uh, like, attached. They're not going to just go up and move somewhere. I could see that in, like, Dallas or in San Diego that, like, if a player left, you're like, oh, but I like this player, and you right. just follow that team. Matter of fact, I've heard that a lot of times from kids that I knew growing up, so it's not shocking, I guess. Yeah. We can't all be Junior Seau fans or Julio Jones fans, as it turns out. But that was pretty much it as far as what I found. You know, a bunch of adaptations are in the work but haven't been released or they've just started signing on cast so nothing's really happening newsworthy yet. So I'm sure there will be more in the coming months. Yep. In the meantime, I have compiled a list of fall-related questions from like five or six different fall tags because we only have 10 days left at the time of recording until it's actually fall. And I'm trying to summon the fall weather and bring it in because I'm tired of 90 degree heat every single day. You got 60 degree temps this morning when we woke up. So like you got to accept it. That was nice. You're like, I'm putting on pants. I'm like, you're insane. It's 60 degrees outside, like still 67. That's not shorts weather, but all right. For me, clearly it is. The first question that I put together is called Fall Storm. What is a favorite book or genre for a rainy day? So I don't know that I have really a favorite book for rainy days just because I haven't like read a book because it's raining. Because when it rains here, it rains for a couple hours and then it stops. Mm-hmm. 
and then the next day it might rain for a couple hours and it stops. But I did put like mystery or horror, I feel like, would be my favorite genres to read in instances like that. Like, I would prefer those types of things. Yeah. Or like suspense. Because it's very atmospheric. Right. And that would make sense. I put that I love any mystery novels on rainy days or fantasy novels because those are also pretty atmospheric. I also mentioned that last month I read If We Were Villains by M.O. Rio on a rainy day, and it was like the perfect mood and like creepy, and I loved it. Yeah. The second question is Hot Apple Cider. What is an underhyped book that should become the next big thing? So my dilemma is I've read only overhyped books. <laughs> yes. So um, I don't... We're trying to find your groove, like your sweet spot, before yeah. we delve into like the underhyped stuff. Like I feel like when I read Foundry Side, I don't know that it's that hyped up because like I don't see it on any of the booktube stuff that I've watched or read, but I know there's a new book coming out, so it probably will start to appear in booktube again just because people will be doing rereads and stuff. But I think I'm more into the book community than you are. And Robert Jackson, nope, Bennett? Robert Jordan? Robert the, Jackson Bennett. Uh, yeah. I was just, all in there. And you it had just the didn't right happen. names, you just had them out of line. Anyway, <laughs> the author is very, very popular. Okay. Others of his series are more popular, but Foundry Side is pretty popular. Well, then never mind. I guess I'm reading more hyped books. Yes. For me, I said, I know I've talked about this one a lot, so it will only be mentioned briefly. The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. I absolutely love it. But also the one by John Mars. It got an adaptation this year, but the adaptation was absolutely garbage. And it didn't include the more outlandish things that I loved in this book. Like, it was so over the top and, like, at such extremes of the genre that, for me, I wanted that in the adaptation, but they couldn't because they needed to make it more palatable for, like, a normal audience for a TV show. So, so for, like, people like me that maybe didn't read the book and they were just trying to make it a TV show? Right. And so everything got toned down a lot. And so, like, a lot of things I felt when I read the book I didn't experience in the movie And so I think the book itself needs to become the next big thing so that we could, in a few years, have a better adaptation that actually follows true to the storyline. Gotcha. I feel like Inheritance Game, though, is talked about a little bit. Not like, not overhyped, but I've I've seen it a couple times. It's getting more hype now that the second book's about to come out and people are like, oh yeah, I've got that first book on my TBR, I should read it before the second one comes out. But the amount of people who have actually read it and talk about it is really low, in my opinion, for how good it is. It's like a Knives Out type thing, right? It's like Knives Out because of the whole weird will and like this outsider and this family who is like really close-knit and not willing to let the outsider in and having to live in the same house together. And worrying about, are they trying to kill me? What's happening? Right. But also the Westing game, kind of, because this old billionaire who is the one playing all these games from the grave with his will is such a fan of, like, puzzles and riddles that, like, that's his whole life and his whole world and, like, part of his house and his will and everything involves puzzles and riddles and stuff. Right. The next question, Scented Candle, what is a light-hearted book? Because you light candles. I, <laughs> I got the reference. I just don't know that I've read any like light-hearted 
books per se. I don't read a ton of lighthearted stuff. So for me, my options were really short. Yeah. The most lighthearted things that I could think of when I wrote my notes was Lumberjanes Volume 1, Beware the Kitten Holy. Yeah. Oddball, which is a collection of comics from Sarah Anderson. And Giant Days, which is a comic about these three dorm mates at university in England. Yeah, I was thinking, like, check, please, because I read portions of the first one, so, like, I... That that's would, pretty lighthearted. I would feel like that's pretty much the most lighthearted thing I've read, realistically. Yeah. I think it's a little weird that the only lighthearted things I read are, like, comics and graphic novels and stuff, because it seems like that, in my mind, is a genre for, like, superheroes and, like, dark things, but, like, I'm finding all these light and fluffier comics to read that I enjoy, so, right. like... I don't know. That might just be, like, my niche. I guess, yeah. Like, I'm excited to start reading some of the Spawn comics that I bought. Like, I'm kind of over the moon. Especially now that I know that there's a new series that just started. I have to follow that. That would definitely not be lighthearted, by the way. No. The opposite. (laughs) And the next question, pumpkin spiced lattes. What is a book that has a lot of hype? I feel like the one that I put there for that one was wild card because like i know a lot of people talked about it but it had good hype and bad hype right right people were so excited because it's like this vr type thing but they wanted it to be more like ready player one which i didn't want it to be which is garbage i hated ready player one but i actually enjoyed wild card i thought it was a lot better I think the thing that people don't like is Amika Chen is kind of not a great character. Like, not a good person. She's a fine character. She's just not a good person. And, like, a lot of people don't like things where, A, it's a female protagonist, so the gamer boys don't like that. But also, a lot of people have to have, like, someone they can enjoy as a person to enjoy the content. Yeah. Which is BS. Like, as a gamer, I... I don't know. Like, I, I see that female gamers get treated differently. Right. Only because, like, I was in a gaming community when I was younger, and we allowed both male and female people, and we respected each other. But whenever we'd go into, like, lobbies with other people, like, just random people joining, they'd always treat the females in our group like trash. And I was like, listen, when she dumps on you in this game and you're just, like, crying for mercy, you're not getting any. Like, you're just not. Because, like, right. just treat everybody with respect. There's no reason... Like, it's not a defined space for just guys. Like, there's... It's not. Yeah. But I think that's part of the reason for it starting out being really hyped and And then then just getting trashed on as time goes on. Yeah. Either way, had a lot of hype, whether it was good or bad. Uh, I personally really enjoyed the book, so... Yeah. For myself, I picked ones that I haven't read, but I know are super hyped, which are... All of the Brown Sister companion romance novels by Talia Hibbert. These seem to take the book community by storm when they came out. And it's Take a Hint, Danny Brown, and Get a Life, Chloe Brown, and the other one about Evie Brown or Eve Brown. And all of these girls have some sort of relationship that happens during the course of the novel. But the thing that I found was weird about the hype for this is that even people who don't necessarily love romance novels are liking these books for the humor and the type of relationships and how the characters seem to act like normal people. So that's a series that's pretty hyped. The next question is Crisp Fall Air. What is a book that felt fresh and new? I specifically said for you. 
because like you're kind of newer to reading than I am. So what feels fresh and new for you might be different than what feels new for me. But I felt like the like storyline of an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green was something that was kind of new to me. Yeah. Because a lot of the books I'd read prior to that were not quite that style of story. So like going in more into the sci-fi things, I realized that that's probably more my safe space. Like sci-fi fantasy stuff is probably where I will be the most comfortable when it comes to reading. Right. I also think he does some new stuff for discussing YouTube or social media in general and how it affects us as humans and how we sort of see ourselves. Because specifically, I'm thinking of the moment where April decides that she needs to become a brand and not a person and how she has to like develop who she is in every situation and how she's going to be in every situation as a brand. So he does, I think, do some new stuff there, even for, like, the science fiction genre. Absolutely. For me, I also kind of picked a sci-fi. So I said, Take Me With You by Tara Altobrando. To me, that felt fresh and new because it's a sci-fi slash thriller novel. And I haven't read a lot of those, if any. And this one starts when some students are summoned into a room with a box on the desk And the sides of the box light up with rules for them. The first one being, do not tell anyone about the device. The second, never leave the device unattended. The third, take me with you or else. And I haven't read a ton of sci-fi thriller novels, so that's why I was like completely sucked in and that's why I really enjoyed it. And I want to read more science fiction thrillers because I feel like Thrillers aren't something that I enjoy in general, but the sci-fi part is what makes it interesting to me because SFF is pretty much where I live for the most part in my reading. So I like that. Yeah. The next question is Apple picking. What is a book on your TBR that you can't wait to pick up? So the one that I have is kind of the answer for both this one and the next question. It's Foundry Side. I actually like Having read the synopsis on the back of the book, it looks really exciting. It looks like something I would enjoy. Again, it's starting to get a little bit of hype again, so I'm excited about that just because why not get excited about hype when there is some in existence? Hopefully it doesn't become overhyped and I'm like really disappointed by it. But right. either way, I'm looking forward to reading it. That's the one on my TBR that I'd like to get to. I'd also like for us to read Hatchet because you've never read Hatchet before. Hatchet is on the TBR for the month. Yes. So So we're going to read it by the end of the month. Yeah. For me, I picked one from my TBR for this month that I posted on my blog and on Instagram. And it's The Hawthorne Legacy by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It technically has already come out. However, we have been having a lot of mailing issues. So this book disappeared for a few days and then is getting inducted into USPS this week. So hopefully I get it before the end of the week. Yeah, in the last week, four of our five packages have just been lost. Yeah, it's been great. It's been fantastic. (laughs) But it's book number two in the Inheritance Game series that I've already kind of talked about. Right. As for books that I actually already own physically that I want to read that are on my TBR. I want to pick up Spellslinger by Sebastian D. Castell. I'm picking it up on someone else's recommendation, but it sounds good. And I don't know that I'm going to have time to get to it by the end of the year, just because like I have other commitments and things I'm trying to do by the end of the year. 
So maybe January. <laughs> we'll see. For the pumpkin patch question, what's the latest book you purchased? Like that you've actually spent your money on? Realistically, it would be those comics that I bought. But like book book would have been that foundry side. So like the same thing as previously. Yeah. For that. For me, I said Only Human by Sylvain Nouvelle, one of the packages that got lost last week. But I finally received it. It is here at the house. I have it. Success. For the question, pumpkin carving, what's a book you didn't like and wouldn't mind carving up? I said something that I rage against pretty often on the podcast is The Magicians by Lev Grossman. But... Another one that I'd like to carve up is What's Left of Me by Amanda Maxlin. I read this on my Kindle at least five years ago, but it's a story about a girl with cancer and how everyone treats her like she's this fragile shell of a human being, except for this one man that she hooks up with and eventually like goes on to date. But the only reason he doesn't treat her like that is like he doesn't know she has cancer, so he doesn't know he should treat her like that or not. But I don't remember a ton about this story. I just remember how much this book got wrong about hockey, which is like a no-no. Like, you don't need to bring hockey into this if you don't know hockey. Right. Like, I know you want to give the guy, like, this sport that he likes so that they have something about their personality other than being a dude, bro. (laughs) But... Like, if you don't know anything about the sport, don't write about it. Just stay away from it, because it's only going to make you look like a bad writer. As well, too, it's going to make you look like you didn't do your homework on the subject, which... Well, and, like, something that I remember distinctly happening in the story is, like, they bought tickets to a scrimmage, so, like, a practice happening. Which you don't do. Which is not a thing, and, like... They, when they were talking about the sport, like, they were just getting factual things about the sport, like, rules wrong and stuff like that. So I distinctly remember just, like, wanting to throw my Kindle across the room because it's, like, that wrong. That's pretty awful. So that one I wouldn't mind carving up. Yeah, for mine, I put Allegiant. Um, Yeah. Fair answer. I feel like it started off okay and then just very quickly went down the toilet. Um, I think the thing that drove me crazy is the first two books are all in Triss's perspective. Right. But then the third one is alternating perspectives. And it's like, why are we introducing this in the last book? Right, right. Yeah. And and honestly, like, I don't want to say it needs to be rewritten, but it needs to be rewritten. Like, yes, it does. If they could come up with a better ending for that trilogy, it would vastly make it a stronger trilogy, I think, in my mind. The penultimate question, Dark Academia, leather-bound or cloth-bound books? So I'm on the fence. I like both. I do really like leather-bound books. I think that they look very nice. But I think for longevity, the cloth-bound books, if you keep them taken care of, they last a lot longer. Well, and like care for a cloth-bound book is a lot easier than care for a leather-bound book. So obviously cloth-bound is the way to go. Right. Leather-bound just get worn out so easily. But they look, like, when they age, if they age properly, they do look really, really nice. It's just playing that game of gamble. Are you going to actually take care of your book well enough to make the leather-bound look good? I'm just going to assume I'm going to be lazy in the future, because... Yeah. Yeah. And the last question, the Monster Mash. Name your favorite monster or villain from a book. So I went back to the book Vicious, and I chose Mitch. 
just because like he wasn't like that bad of a bad guy and I think that's why I liked him so much. I wouldn't even call him a villain. Like I would just say he's He's just part of the bad guy team more right. or less. Yeah. Yeah. And like That's why I tied him in as a villain, just because he's part of the group that was the bad guy, but like he was a respectful bad guy, I guess is the way to put it. I don't know. Yeah. I liked him as a character, and I think, like, he was part of that villain group, so, like, it kind of is good. For me, I said for, like, creature feature, like, monster, what kind of monster I like. I really like werewolves, for sure. Okay. I also like vampires when they're done well, and I only have to specify that because of certain things that have come out about vampires in the last 20-whatever years. But I always like whenever an author takes what we consider to be like a standard monster and then turns it on its head in some way. And I feel like there's a little bit of that in um, Written in Red by Anne Bishop. I thought you were awake looking for the answer from me. I was so confused. No, I hadn't written that down. I was trying to remember it off the top of my head. Gotcha. So I think they do a good job of taking these normal creature feature sort of monsters and changing them and adapting them in a way that makes sense. Now, what I've read this past week is going to sound like a lot, but I'm going to try to run through it really quickly because I've got five books to discuss. Okay. The first is In the Hall with the Knife by Diana Peterfrund, which is a 2019 release and book number one in the Clue mystery series. It's a YA mystery novel that I originally rated 4.25 stars. This was a reread for me. This book follows the students at an isolated private school in Maine when there's a blizzard followed quickly by a murder. It's an isolated closed circle mystery, so we have all our characters together in this one house and have to figure out who done it. So it's Clue. Yeah. The guy who dies is Mr. Body, so yeah. Is it actually? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Is his name Mr. Body? I think technically he's Dr. Body. He's the headmaster of the school. So this is literally Clue. Yeah. Okay. It's nice. I love Clue, so that book is just a fun time for me. Yeah. I also completed a project this past week. So I finished Grimm's Complete Fairy Tales by Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. The stories were originally compiled by the brothers in 1812. And I say that because it's a collection of German like oral stories that they have put together going around Germany, the countryside, trying to basically find the best German stories. It's very nationalist at the time. If only they had waited 130 years. My averaged out rating for the over 200 stories that were in this collection. Some of them very repetitive at that. Is 1.44 stars. So, like, not only is it bad, it's really, really bad. Yeah, I think realistically there were probably about four or five stories in that whole book that you were like, I loved these. Not even love, just like, these were good. Not great. I didn't love them, but they were good. There were only three of them. Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, and The Shoes That Were Danced to Pieces. These stories are, like, deeply racist and sexist, and, like, the best stories were ones that we already kind of know, like, variations of, thanks to Disney or thanks to other popularizations of adaptations or things like that. It just, it 
had a lot of moments where like the good person was the white person and the bad person was the black person and like these women were all nasty horrible people but then you know the huntsman prevailed over the evil witch in the woods and stuff like that things you expect coming out of fairy tales from the early 19th century so like I knew what I was getting into, but I also can't help the fact that I'm looking at it through a 21st century lens, and that's how it's always going to be. Right. I won't ever read it again, but it's pretty on my shelf, so I'll probably keep it. Yeah. And that's about it. And then I read another book for my 40 Books Before 40 project. It's The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. This was a 2020 release that took the online book community by storm because of how sweet and cute the story is. It's an adult fantasy slash contemporary novel, kind of. This book is often said to be a middle grade novel for adults. We're following an adult person, but it's a very like middle grade, like the themes and like how the story plays out. I ended up rating it four stars I was really going into it expecting more than what I got out of it. And so I think the hype is part of the reason it is only a four star for me. But this book follows Linus, who is a caseworker for the department in charge of magical youth. He is picked by extremely upper management for a delicate case because Linus loves rules and is never emotionally affected by his work. But Everyone is in for a surprise when the children and the master of this orphanage take hold of his heart. And so you see these magical youth who are all different types of magical creatures. And you see how, like, their main characteristic is, like, their magic and what's happened to them in the past because of their type of magic. Like, there's a gnome who's this gardener at the house and, like... Well, that's a stereotype. (laughs) She was pretty cute with her little beard and everything. It was adorable. But, like, at the same time, these characters weren't as well-developed as I was expecting or wanting. And not even just, like, the children weren't super well-developed. I felt like Linus specifically wasn't well-rounded, and I felt like Arthur needed a little bit more to him to feel like a real person. Okay. But I think part of that is just the amount of hype for that one and then in an attempt to bring fall to our house i read pumpkin heads by rainbow rowell this is a 2019 release it's a ya contemporary graphic novel that i rated 3.5 stars in this one seasonal best friends deja and josiah have been working together at the local pumpkin farm for the past four years But this Halloween, Deja makes it her mission to get Josiah in a face-to-face conversation with his longtime crush. Obstacles in their way include a goat on the loose, a succotash hut in danger of burning down, and a stolen caramel apple. A goat on the loose? Mm Mm-hmm. From their petting zoo. Oh, gosh. It was really cute and seasonal and, like, perfect for people who love fall and Halloween and that sort of thing. It just didn't have any real depth, in my opinion. So that's why I rated it 3.5 stars and not something higher. Though for a graphic novel, for me, that's still a decent rating because I have trouble rating these highly to begin with. Because they're not books. Well, because there's not enough time to get to know characters and their backstories. But the author did leave 
room in there to possibly do like a Christmas version of one of these. That's so exciting. like, please do that because that's what I want in my life. Christmas comics. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Christmas uh, graphic novel. I could see you buying that immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I read was Ace of Spades by Farida Abike Imide. I'm glad you had to say that. I would have really butchered it. I still might have. But this was a release from this past June. It's a YA mystery thriller novel. I only ended up rating it three stars. Everyone's been raving about this book. But I had a problem with the fact that every single twist and turn... I saw coming a thousand miles away. And I hate when people say that. Like, I literally hate when people are reviewing something and go, I saw the twist coming, so I wasn't surprised. And aren't I so special? Because I could call it. But like, in this one, I feel like even the youngest fans of Mysteries would have been able to call the twist and turns that happened in this book. It was just too predictable, in my opinion. So what I'm hearing is you need me to read the book to figure out whether it is that predictable or not. You would call it as well, I think. Um, But this is pitched as a dark academia novel that is a combination of Get Out and Pretty Little Liars. Sounds like it'd be a good book. But if it's that predictable, I guess it's not that great. Yeah, In this one, the only two black kids at the elite private school Nivius Academy, Chiamaka and Devin, have their lives torn apart when a mysterious person called Aces decides to spread their secrets around the school. But these secrets have real-world consequences, and their very lives could be on the line. And I feel like part of the problem here, besides the fact that it's pretty predictable, is that I was never that scared. Like, it was never at the point where I thought it was going to go there and take it to that dark, scary place. Gotcha. So I was never super concerned about our main characters. I didn't like the bullying happening from Aces and, like, all of that. But at the same time, I was never truly scared. Got it. It does discuss racism, institutionalized racism, sexism, classism, and it has a lot of important points. Okay. But at the same time, it never went there. And I would even argue that it's not dark academia because it's not that dark and there's almost no focus on the academia. So, you know, there's the tea for me, I suppose, for the week. (laughs) Sounds like it. Yeah. And, like, I'm an outlier. I understand that. Like, I am not part of, you know, everyone loves this book. I'm just the weirdo. That's fine. It's okay to be the weirdo. Yeah. As for what I plan on reading next, I'm going to read Only Humans by Sylvain Nouvelle. It's continuing my read through this series because it's book number three in the Themis Files and a 2018 release. This one is an adult science fiction novel where a girl falls into a hole and discovers a giant metal hand and throughout her life she is studying this and ends up discovering that it's part of a robot that gets pieced together and it's discovering alien technology and interacting and having first contact with aliens and it just sort of develops from there. Okay. And it's told in after action reports, mission recordings, I guess you would call them, interviews, diary entries, different forms than just your standard novel. 
And I'm really hoping this one picks up where the second one left off because there is kind of a big cliffhanger at the end of book two. But I feel like I can't give a full real synopsis for this one because it is the last book in a series. You don't want to ruin it for the people that would be reading the first or the second book? Right. Got it. And if this one will ever appear at our door, I'm also going to read The Hawthorne Legacy by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. It's a YA mystery novel that came out on the 7th of this month. And book number two in the Inheritance Games trilogy. A quick synopsis for the series is that Avery Grahams is surprised when billionaire Tobias Hawthorne leaves his estate to her. She must live with a family that has been passed over in the will for 12 months in order to receive his fortune and properties. But traps upon traps and riddles upon riddles keep this heiress on her toes. Again, I think that would be a book that I might enjoy reading. Like, it sounds like it's interesting. It's pretty good. It's not super action-y, though, so I don't know if you would enjoy it. And this next week, I'm going to end up finishing Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. It's part of my 40 Before 40 challenge, and the comics were first published in 1987, and it's an adult comic series that I feel like most people know about, but I'll read the Goodreads synopsis real quick for this one. In an alternate world where the mere presence of American superheroes changed history, the U.S. won the Vietnam War, Nixon is still president, and the Cold War is in full effect. The book begins as a murder mystery, but soon unfolds into a planet-altering conspiracy. As the resolution comes to a head, the unlikely group of reunited heroes have to test the limits of their convictions and ask themselves where the true line between good and evil is. Sounds really good. It's not. No? At least not so far. I started reading this one as like one graphic novel comic thing every day. Okay. And I'm going to end up finishing it this week, but I'm about halfway through and uh, no, just no, especially Rorschach. Like, I do not like him at all. He's super Republican-y and like crass and dirty and (laughs) I just, I don't like this so far. So I've got about half left. Yeah. And something I'm going to start definitely 100% will not finish this novel is The Republic of Thieves by Scott Lynch. It's a 2013 release and book number three in the Gentleman Bastard series. It's an adult fantasy novel, and all of these novels follow con artist Locke Lamora and his crew as they move from country to country and city to city to pull off cons in the name of the Nameless 13th, also known as the Crooked Warden. And in this one, we're supposedly going to finally meet Sabatha, who is like this person that's been mentioned throughout the first two books in the series and we haven't met yet. And we get to see Locke and his crew being teenagers in flashbacks in this next one. So I'm very excited for that. I know that you've been singing a lot of praises about this series. So The first one I rated five stars, the second one 4.5 because I feel like it goes off the rails very slightly. This one, I'm excited to see what kind of con they're going to pull. It's going to be because they're the youths. The youths. As for what you've been reading, you read the middle section of Supernova by Marissa Meyer. Boy, things were happening too at like record pace. I feel like this book is all go, go, go. So not surprising that you feel that way. 
it's also very easy to read through. Like at no point, like even when I was tired, I was like, man, I need to read f- like four more chapters. Okay, no big deal. Yeah. Like because stuff was happening. It was enough to keep me awake the entire time. I think I only dozed off once and it was the day after working eight days in a row. And I think my body was just like, sleep is required right now. Yeah. Yeah. In the first third, we left off where Adrian had just busted the bandit out of the hospital because he wasn't putting up with any of this quarantine BS. Yeah. And Nova had that meeting with Adrian at one point about him trying to get answers from Nightmare, but her claiming her innocence the whole time. Yeah. And the next chapter starts off with everyone at the penitentiary being put together in the cafeteria for an announcement saying that they were all going to go on a field trip and not a good one. The, oh, trip. Field trip. Mm. Though they don't, at that point, know what's going to happen. And the fact that they're all going to get neutralized. Well, and then you see the guards, like, beating the heck out of Ace for, like, no reason. Right. Well, because he's still technically a threat, because they don't have a way to sort of... Bottle up telekinesis? Yeah. Yeah. And so they're taking out their anger on him and trying to subdue him so that he never becomes an actual threat. Yeah. As well, too, I think it was kind of a slap in the face to everybody that was there in Cragmore as well. Like, right. Like, this was, like, your guy. Yeah. And Look like, at him now. Yeah. Exactly. He's weak. We also see some cute moments when Max goes to Ruby's house, which is where he's going to be staying because Ruby's the only prodigy in her whole family. So she's going to go somewhere else and he's going to stay in Ruby's room. Right. The reality is her brothers are, you say cute, but obsessed in a creepy way almost to an extent with like... I feel like they're Prodigies. a depiction of how the city as a whole views superheroes. Like, we really want to be one, but if we're not one, we're going to idolize them. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's sort of creepy. And then Adrian has a confrontation with Hugh, his dad, because, like, what the hell happened at the hospital with your brother? Where is he? How could you do this? Right. And Adrian's just like, we'll talk about it later. Bye, guys. It's like, you're good you're on the phone, otherwise your dad would beat the crap out of you. He does end up having that conversation face-to-face, and it's, it's like, it, it goes well for Adrian, like, by the end of it, but, like, going through it, it was pretty much a death wish for him. So, there's that. And after that conversation, he and his team are called in to take care of a burglary in progress. And that's when we have the first incident with the nightmare. nightmare. Yeah. The fake nightmare that is putting in an appearance in order to try to sow some seeds of doubt for the renegades because obviously they have the real nightmare. But this is sort of the villain's attempt to get her out. And... It's sort of a fun scene, but, like, obviously you can tell if you've been reading that there are a lot of things here that show that she's not Nightmare. Like how tall she is. That too. Yeah. And her power. Mm -hmm. And most things about her. But the thing that really settles that in for them is the fact that she comes with Ace's helmet. Right. Which they know she took, so. And so they're like, Nova's innocent. Yeah. Like... 
the real nightmare is out there. And we've had the wrong person locked up. And this sort of becomes like something that weighs down on Adrian because he feels so guilty for how he treated Nova. And she's claimed to be innocent the whole time. Right. And never did he believe her and just... I feel like for him, his guilt is like a physical thing. Well, for him, he saw so much stuff that proved that she was guilty in his mind. And then, like, the dots now that are saying, like, well, or the thoughts that he's battling now that are saying, like, no, she's innocent. How could she have been here if she was in... Cragmore. Cragmore. So it's like... uh, So, like, that internal strife sucks. Yeah. Like, I couldn't fathom how stressful that would be. Well, and it sort of goes back to that thing when they first caught Nova, which is, like, what's real, what's not real, but now, like, to a whole nother level because of this new nightmare. Right. It's only made more confusing for him. Yeah. And then Nova ends up getting released from Cragmore, and Adrian meets her down at the docks, and he's like, I've got flowers and a new tool belt. I didn't know which one you would like more, but please forgive me. And she takes the tool belt first and he goes, and I'll take those too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I could see if that ever happened to somebody in a relationship that you're lucky you just didn't get hit. Right. You know. He gives this whole speech apologizing and all of this stuff and saying that he should have believed her. And he's like, please say something. And she goes, where's my bracelet? Because he ended up giving that to Magpie when she was taken away. And she's also given a gas mask because of Nightmare's dealings with Agent N. And she thinks that's like them saying, we know you're really Nightmare, this is a trap. But like, that's just her fear talking because she's a spy and she's worried about getting caught. When in reality, they just wanted to make sure she doesn't get gas. <laughs> and the villains have brought up this actor to play her uncle when she gets back to the mainland. That was one of the most cringe-worthy scenes I think I've ever read. Like, it just... In my mind, I'm just like, Nova, you should know to go with this. Like, this shouldn't put you off. You should know exactly how to play this, in my mind. At the same time, I disagree, I guess, a little bit, because it's just like it's a random stranger walking up pretending to be your uncle. Like, that would throw anybody off, I feel like, no matter how on point you are with, like, your undercoverness. But, like, this is supposed to settle some of the questions that might be lingering for the renegades. Like, we've never seen her uncle, and we don't know what's going on with him, but then suddenly here he is. And, like, obviously he comes up with a story for why he couldn't have visited her at Cragmore, but, like, he's there in the flesh to take care of her and take her to a home. And we also see this big, like, kiss happen on the dock that shows that she forgives him. And, like, there's a lot of reporters and photographers there. So, like, that's well documented, which I didn't love, but... It was done on purpose just to make it look like she's back to being all in, more or less. Yeah. Relationship and renegades. And so her uncle ends up putting her in a car that's driven by Leroy, and they're not heading to a new apartment. They're heading to... A pawn shop. A pawn shop where all of the bad guys are The villains, the rejects, whoever else is wanting to be a part of the, the party. And it turns out that, obviously, the rejects and the anarchists are together now, trying to come up with a way to get back at the renegades and get Nova out. Right. 
And to keep this whole thing with Agent N and Ace Anarchy's punishment from happening, we do see some of the rejects and, like, their powers. And, like, it makes a lot of sense why they were rejected. But at the same time, it's not your stereotypical superheroes, which is part of the reason I like this series so much. And I can't stand the MCU. So what I'm hearing is you like Megaphone. I mean, he's pretty great. Yeah. Right? Small body, big voice. Yeah. Not everyone's on board with the idea of Nova trying to get Ace out because they're like, he wasn't our leader. Right. Like, why would we risk our necks for him in that instance? Right. The reality is, the answer is, he's way more powerful than any of you are and could actually help you. Yeah. In the next chapter, we see Adrian is now taking down the mirrors in his house and the renegades are taking down all the mirrors at headquarters because they think that's how, quote, Nightmare got in in the first place. When the reality is that's just how Narcissa is getting into places. Right. Yeah. But while he's doing that, someone breaks into his home and they've taken a lot of paperwork, but he's not sure why they've taken anything like that. He was expecting it to be like the blueprints of the headquarters or research findings about Agent N. But whenever he actually looks at it, it's a drawing that he's done in the past. One of his childhood like monsters he had drawn. And so he doesn't understand why Nightmare would take his drawings and not something actually important. And also she would have had the upper hand over him. So why wouldn't she knock him out? Because that's Nightmare's superpower, the real Nightmare. Right. And so for him, I think this whole confrontation is just confusing. Because he literally came into the room past her in order for her to escape. So it's like the opportunity, his back was turned. Why not use the power to knock him out at that point? Like, Right. It would have been the easiest escape ever at that point. We then see Nova go back to the Renegades headquarters and we see... The team apologized to her, but Dana is still pretty cold to her, as if she doesn't really believe that Nova's innocent. She doesn't at all. Let's be honest. And then we see this whole thing happen between Nova and Hugh, where she's like, this shouldn't have even been possible, and capital punishment is bad, and shouldn't we have thought ahead before we just started making all these decisions? And he basically was like, there, there, child. Right. Like, there's no reason for him to have to listen to this one person. Right. And he's like, I know this is good intentions, and this all stems from your trauma of having to go through all this when you're innocent. But, like, no. Yeah. And she basically leaves the whole thing just feeling really foolish about trying to talk him into anything. Understandably so. We also see her try to get her bracelet back from Magpie, which is kind of a funny scene. I enjoy Magpie and Nova and their interactions because, like, they obviously don't like each other at all. Well, Nova honestly contemplated, like, putting Magpie to sleep in response to the fact that she was, like, trying to BS her, basically. She goes, this could have been way easier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But you can't always do the easy thing when you're being a spy. That's a fact. You kind of need to stay in the shadows a little bit. And basically, Nova goes through Magpie's stuff and finds, for some reason, a bullet right. that she has in her pocket. And she's like, this isn't all junk. You leave me alone with my stuff. Take your freaking bracelet. We also see in a conversation between Max and Adrian about Nightmare coming into their house that Max still doesn't think 
necessarily that Nova's innocent. Like, he doesn't come out and say it, but, like, you can tell he... It's like, based off all the dots that I've connected and the fact that, like, Narcissa doesn't even know who he is, so why would she turn... And protect him? Protect him. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, like, honestly, I think that would be the one that would check the box for me that Nova is definitely still a nightmare because it's just, like, why... Why would Narcissa have the motivation to do that? Like, she has no She's mad at the renegades as it is. So, like, why wouldn't she just let another one die? Yeah. We also see that Turbo, the little dinosaur that Adrian drew for Max, is getting sick. And he's probably going to die soon. We do see him eventually die. Not at that moment, though. I mean, we do in that chapter. By the end of the chapter, he just basically becomes a little glass statue that they can use in... His play, but can't games. move, right? Yeah, yeah. We also see the villains come together and try to plan how to save Ace and keep the others from being neutralized at this big unveiling happening the next day or day after, I think. And Narcissa's actually gone through all of the drawings that Adrian's done and wants to talk to Nova about it, but Nova's like, "I don't have time for you right now. I'm planning on saving my uncle. Sorry." A little busy. Please leave a message after the beep. And we see a conversation between Millie and Nova, and Millie is one of the people who can, like, touch an object and see its history, and Nova's trying to find out more about her bracelet that her father's made. She finds out that his power is pretty rare, like, using the energy from the Earth's aura or whatever to build things, which is pretty intense. Yeah. Basically saying that, you know, everyone's made of stardust, and that's how superpowers came to be, and that's basically where the bracelet comes from, is the short way to get to that. But Nova's thinking that she can use it as part of a weapon to defeat Captain Chromium. Then we see, like, the main event of the next few chapters where everyone's come together for the unveiling of Agent N. You have a lot of press. You've got most of the renegades, not all of them. And they're going to bring in the prisoners from penitentiary to neutralize and kill Ace Anarchy. Yeah, I don't know that I want to give away all the spoilers of this, but boy, that was a lot to read. Basically, there's this big speech from the council, and they bring out the puppeteer, and he gives his whole, like, I'm so sorry, and, like, here's my past, and everything like that. And I'm better now, and everything is okay. And we also see Nova, who's on the outside of the building, finding her way in to break in and try to stop all of this from happening. We also find out that uh, they're... Ability to neutralize the people isn't really there anymore because it's been swapped out with something else. And there is a big fight that takes place. A lot of people end up injured. A couple of people that we like and a couple we don't end up dead. And a lot of people end up neutralized that you really didn't think would. But the villains have Agent N and they've used it as one of their tactics. Yeah, the method and way they used it was like, impressive that they thought that far into it but like it makes a lot of sense to like use the tools that you have yeah as we're going we see one of adrian's new powers that he's tattooed on himself to protect himself and one of his dads and that was really fun to see i liked that superpower a lot and there is a moment during the whole thing that there's like a pause in the fighting and everyone's just kind of looking around and like you think it's not gonna get to the level that it eventually gets to yeah. In this whole fight, because it looks like things are going to calm down and settle, and then it just flares up. back up to, like, another level. 
in the end, we see that Nova has to kind of stop Ace because now that he's been rescued and he has the helmet, he's, he's just going too far. Everything and anything in his way, and know. he would have ended up killing everyone there. Yeah, in the end, and so. In the end, he uses part of the debris from part of the building coming down to float himself and, like, all the villains away as they're, like, getaway. It's like getaway concrete slab. Yeah. But I'm very excited to finish this book. Um, it should be good. I think it's going to go a direction that I don't know you're going to expect, but... We'll see. I'm expecting something exciting since the book is called Supernova. I'm hoping Nova gets some kind of crazy power. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, truly. That's what I'm hoping for, but... I'm ready to finish it. I think this week should be easy because it's the smallest third I feel like I've had to read based on the way, like... The way that it all worked out as, like, good stopping points, you kind of had to read more than a third each time, so it's going to be less than a third for the last bit. Which should make it easy and maybe give me some time to read some of my comics, which would be nice. That would be nice for you. Yeah. I don't know how to discuss those because I'm not reading those. Yeah, I can cover them with basic notes if I have to. You'll have to give us a play-by-play for Spawn. Yeah. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, make sure you guys are staying in contact with us on all of our social media. We have all the links on every episode in the show notes, so make sure you check those out. And then we'll catch you next week for a sports episode. It definitely will have more football news, probably because the whole season will be have started oh, today, dang. the day we're recording. So, yay! Be prepared. But otherwise, guys, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.